0: if you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321. Give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast.
1: Jesus, I thank you that you are here, and I thank you that you are in our midst. I thank you that as we draw near to you, you promised to draw near to us, and so we ask that you would speak to us, that you would move in us and through us today, and that you would transform our hearts and minds as we step into a conversation around what it means to follow you and to give everything to you in the process so that we might gain all of it back. We thank you for your goodness today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In the Gospels, Jesus, like we talked about last week, starts this ministry where he starts preaching this message of repentance. Change your mind. Have a brand new perspective because your old ways of thinking are now outdated and irrelevant. And immediately after he does this, he starts to ask people some questions. Actually, a question that is really powerful. So, Jesus is walking, if you'll imagine this picture, he's walking one day and he comes across a lake and he sees two men out there who are fishing, Peter and his brother Andrew. And he has this conversation with them in Matthew chapter 4. He says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon and Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. See, this is the call of Jesus to us. He preaches repentance. He says, the kingdom of God is here. So change your mind, change your perspective, change how you see the world. And then he gives us this invitation, come follow me. This is a very distinct invitation that he gives us. Because this is very different from come learn my teachings. Very different call. This is a much different call from come and obey my commands. Very different call. It's actually a different call than say, come and learn my religion. Now, he says, come and follow me. Now, within that call, come and follow me, there is certainly a call to obey what he asks us to do. There is a call to learn his ways. There is a call to take on how he practices life. But it's very different. Come follow me is like in a whole different category. Because when he comes to them, he says this. He says, leave everything and come apprentice with me. Come learn my ways. Come be a student. Come engage in this new way of engaging life. And here's the thing. The credentials that he chooses for who gets this invitation are actually pretty low. He chooses some guys out fishing. Fishermen. Which weren't like the bottom of the totem pole, but they weren't exactly the top, right? See, he doesn't go to the wealthy. He doesn't go to the rich. He doesn't go to the educated. He doesn't go to the the religious of the day and say, hey, would you come follow me? He comes to fishermen. In fact, this would have been a common practice in Jesus' time to have rabbis or spiritual leaders come and you did not just ask the riffraff of the city to come and follow you. In fact, when a rabbi chose his apprentices, he wanted the best of the best, He wanted the brightest, he wanted those who were going to be the utmost religious and those who would be able to lead with power and those who would be able to take their teachings on and to continue them on. So I'm sure when Peter and Andrew see Jesus come up and say, come follow me, they're going, you got the wrong people, not us, right? Because they were not apprentice material. That's not who they were. And yet Jesus comes and says, I'm choosing you. He was calling Peter and Andrew. In this moment to come and follow him. And there wasn't actually much of like an application process. Notice that Jesus didn't really know much about them. He didn't sit down with them and see if they were qualified for this invitation. He just says, hey, come follow me. Because here's the thing. To become an apprentice of Jesus. To follow him. To respond to this invitation. Does not actually require a huge resume. It actually is more about an attitude of heart than anything else. See, what was required to apprentice with Jesus to respond to this call that I believe he still calls to us today is humility and a space of willingness to get curious about what he's up to, to have a learning stance and to say, I am willing to let go of everything. And he says, let go of everything and follow me. And that essentially is the pre-qualification as to whether or not You will become an apprentice of Jesus. And in recognizing that the one that you are following opens up possibilities for your life beyond what you could ever ask or imagine. And that it's worth laying down everything for. See, I actually think it's wild that the God of the universe, of everything that he would invite us into, is not, again submit to me, that's not his first call. His his first call isn't even just obey everything. His first call is to step into a relationship with me where you are an apprentice and come follow me, lay everything down and let's move forward. To follow the one who has lived a life worth living, who has stepped into a space of human history and said, look, I'm going to show you what it means to be fully alive. And that in that process, we might actually start crafting a life that is worth following. That we might actually start honing in our own life in a way that would produce the results that other people would say, I want to follow that. Whatever's going on over there, that's what I want to be up to. But it requires us giving up everything we have and everything we've known up until this point. It requires us laying everything down. See, so he, he doesn't give Peter and Andrew like an opportunity to, like, like hey, because here, here's the thing, if Jesus came to me and said that to me today, I'm sure I would be very excited, but my first words out of my mouth would be like, let me go check with my wife, right? Like, hold on, you know, I got some boats, we have a fishing expedition tomorrow, I have some people coming, let me, let, me, let me get my ducks in order, and then I will follow you. But he just simply says, leave everything and come follow me. Here's the invitation, are you up for it or not? And I actually think this is the same invitation that Jesus gives to us today. That he just says, come and follow me. See, here's the thing that I think most of us wrestle with in this invitation, is that most of us are much more comfortable being master than we are student. We we are much more comfortable being the expert than we are being the apprentice in these type of relationships. See, we oftentimes actually avoid the space of student because we don't want to look stupid. Ever been there before? like like you just don't want to try on the new thing because you don't want to look dumb or you don't want to go tr- do, do you know like we, we Marlon and I have been talking about doing pickleball forever because that's what millennials do now you know <laughs> and i think it would be fun but part of me is like I just know I'm going to look stupid for at least a, like a few hours on the court. Maybe a few months. Who knows? But, but there's a part of me that's like, ah, do I really want to be a student again? Do I really want to be an apprentice again? Do I really want to be a learner again? Because it's going to feel awkward. And I'm not going to know what I'm doing. And everyone else is going to be better than me. And it's going to put me in this very awkward space. And we oftentimes avoid that space of what it looks like to be an apprentice And then we find ourselves resisting that because we want to be the expert. And then we find ourselves saying, well, you know, no one's really going to tell me what to do. I get to choose. I get to choose how I'm going to live. And no one's going to really tell me what to do. And the problem that that eventually moves towards is that if we are not willing to enter into an apprentice relationship, that we find ourselves in atrophy. We find ourselves losing muscle memory, and we find ourselves spiritually losing passion, and we find ourselves dumbing down what's possible for us and other people, and then you find yourself in a crisis going, where do I turn to? I've been unwilling to intentionally apprentice my life under someone or something, and now I find myself in crisis and I don't know who to turn to. I don't know who to go to. I don't know who to look to for answers or for help or for support. We find ourselves stuck. See, in life, there is no no neutral space. We are either moving towards life or moving towards death, and we are apprenticing ourselves towards one of those locations. We are engaging and learning how to move towards one of those spaces. And any great leader, any person who has done anything significant in the world around them will tell you that they started as a great student, that they started as a great follower, That they were passionate about being an apprentice. That they wanted to learn everything that they possibly could and they didn't care what it cost them. They just wanted to step into this space. And what I love about Jesus is that he does invite all of us into this relationship. I believe that if Jesus was here today, which I believe he is, but if he was here in physical form, he would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here and he would say, now come follow me. His message would not change that much. There would not be a dramatic difference from what he's doing, that he is giving us this same invitation today. And God longs for us to follow him and to learn and to be transformed in the process. And here's here's what I love about Peter, is that Peter just drops his net, leaves his boat, and follows Jesus. See, it's the respond to the call that determines whether or not you will be an apprentice, not whether or not you're significant or have what it takes you do. The question is, are you willing to go through the process of having your character transformed to fully become an apprentice, a follower of Jesus? See, because we are introduced to Peter on a lake fishing, and Jesus simply says, come follow me, and he leaves everything. And then in Acts chapter 5, this is where we see Peter The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nonetheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those who were tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. How does someone move from being a fisherman to having their shadow heal people? (laughs) How do you make that leap? (laughs) What is the process necessary to have that take place? Because here's the thing, when we hear that, I don't know about you, but there's something inside of me that says, I want that life. Like whatever, whatever, whatever is required to go through from like fishermen to my shadow healing people, I'm up for it. Like bring it on. I, I, will, I will go through whatever is necessary to step into that. How do we move from the average life that looks just like everyone else to this extraordinary existence that transforms the reality not only for us but everyone else that we come in contact with? See, I think it all starts with knowing who your Lord is. And we don't use this word Lord a lot, because when the scriptures talk about Lord, it's talking about a master, it's talking about a ruler. Who is the master of your life? Who is the, who is the ruler of your life? That's, again, not something that we, we normally talk about. We don't talk about our lords, and we don't talk about our rulers, and we don't talk about our masters. In fact, for those of us who grew up in a Western American culture, those words are like, eh, icky, right? We don't like those terms, and yet this is the term that Jesus invites us into, Knowing your master and knowing who rules over you would be very helpful in this conversation and knowing how to step into this relationship with Jesus. See, here's the question. It is not whether or not you have a Lord. Some of you in this room may be like, well, I don't really have a Lord. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if I've made Jesus Lord or not. But the question really isn't, do you have a Lord? You do. So I'll just answer that question for you, yes. You do have a Lord. You do have a master. You do have someone or something that you are actively apprenticing with your life, with your energy, with your decisions, with everything about you that you are following. You were an apprentice to someone or something. And this is just actually how humanity was designed. It's actually built into us that we require having a Lord. We require having a master. It It actually is built into the essence of who we are. Because you know what's interesting is that wherever humans have come together and formed civilizations, all of them have set up some governmental system. All of them. It's as if that's like built into us. So even when, even when um, anthropologists have found remote villages somewhere that has been untouched by the rest of society, they can go in and they can actually study the hierarchical systems that are set up of who rules and who are chiefs and who are the elders, and who are the lower end of the totem pole, because we were actually designed to set up systems where we have lords, where we have masters, where we have rulers. Now, I know anarchy seems like a good idea, doesn't it? (laughs) It would be nice to have a system where it's like, well, can't we just get rid of all the rulers? Can't we just get rid of all the lords? And can't we just find ourselves where we do what we need to do on our own? We've tried that, and it doesn't work. In fact, there are entire governmental systems and they are just theories at this point because we've never been able to get past what's required to get to this space where everyone just rules themselves. Because humanity requires a ruler. It is required for us to have a Lord, it is a requirement for have us to have someone or something that masters over us. It's as if we were, we were born with this desire to find a teacher to find a mentor, to find a ruler, to find someone that we can apprentice under, that it was ingrained in us and that we do not do well without it. But the human spirit starts to dry up when we don't find that space. So I'm gonna actually work from the presupposition that your soul is actually craving a Lord, that your soul is actually craving a teacher. It's craving someone to come and master your life. Someone that you could apprentice under that would be worth giving up everything for here and now. See, the question is what is your Lord or what is your master or what does inform how you live? Because here's the thing. You can either choose your Lord or a Lord will be chosen for you. Kind of like an attorney, right? (laughs) So you can either choose who is the master, who is the ruler, who is Lord over life, or one will gladly choose one for you. See, you are either actively submitting your life to someone or something or something will willingly take the throne of your life. That's how this works. I mean, have you ever found yourself on autopilot? And what I mean is like you've just checked out of life for a bit and you find yourself drifting into a future. And and have you ever found yourself where you're on autopilot and suddenly you realize, oh, I'm in marital breakdown? And you're like, oh, whoa, what happened? Our marriage is in breakdown. Or maybe you found yourself on autopilot and all of a sudden you wake up and you go, oh, how do I have this giant credit card bill and no money, right? Or, or maybe you, you've, you've gone on autopilot like we have over the holidays and you step on the scale and you go, how did this happen, right? <laughs> because here's the thing. When we are on autopilot, when we are drifting through life, we rarely drift into a beautiful, blissful future. Have you noticed that? No one says, I wasn't paying to my finances, and lo and behold, I saved $5,000. No one ever says, you know, I wasn't really paying attention to my friendships, and they all became healthier. No one ever says, I wasn't looking at what I was putting in my mouth, and wow, look, I gained a six-pack, right? Because, yeah, it just, it just, it just happened. I don't know how it happened. And so here's the thing, when we, when we fail to choose a Lord, a destructive Lord will choose for you every single time. No one drifts into sainthood. No one drifts into beauty. No one drifts into power. No one drifts into hope. That requires active Lordship. See, you don't hear a lot of saying, I, I, I was on autopilot and I drifted into ecstasy because a Lord will be chosen for you. You essentially are choosing a destructive life by not choosing the Lord that will rule over you. But when you choose who will rule over you or what will rule over your life, you take your power back. And this is exactly what we were talking about last week. See, because one of the most powerful spiritual actions that you will ever take in your entire life, one of the most creative acts the human spirit will ever engage is repentance, to choose a new perspective and part of that is choosing who will lord over me, who will rule over me, who will master over my life. See, you actually get to choose who and what that is. You get to choose who is the one that will inform my future and where my energy goes and how my mental health flows and how every decision I make engages. You actually get to choose this. And choosing your master, choosing your Lord is probably one of the most important decisions. That you will ever make because it informs every single other arena of your life. Because who or what you choose as your life will determine the shape of your future and the expanse of freedom that you step into. Yeah. See, because here's the thing. There are, there are plenty of lords out there, masters, rulers, that will create a, a fine degree of freedom for you. And they will actually create a fine degree of of future for you. Like, if there was a a spectrum of lordship, right? Like, if there was a spectrum of all the lords that are available to you, like, probably over here would be, like, the lord of, like, crack cocaine, you know? (laughs) Like, if you're going to choose a lord... Not a giant open future for you, right? Not like a massive possibility for freedom. In fact, it's probably just going to close that down for you over here. So that's probably on this end of the spectrum. Over here would probably be like the Lord of money, right? And we are okay with that Lord because that Lord opens up a certain degree of freedom and it opens up a certain type of future and it opens up a certain amount of possibilities. And so usually on the spectrum of lordship, we choose something in between, It's not too bad, but here's the thing, is that everything on the spectrum will eventually leave you wanting. It will eventually leave you longing for more because the futures and the freedom that it opens up for you is limited, that there's a cap on what's possible in the scale of lordship that we find ourselves in. And sometimes we, we find ourselves changing lords by the day. Have you noticed that? Sometimes even by the hour. I mean, sometimes it's like I'm, I'm lorded over by my, like, my hunger, and then sometimes I'm lorded over by my greed, and then sometimes I'm lorded over my anger, and we just choose whatever lord is convenient in the moment to inform us of how we're going to use our energy, the decisions that we're making, what comes out of our mouth, what goes into our mouth, the thoughts that we engage in. It lords over us, and it determines who we are becoming and the future that opens up for us and other people. But again, all of them leave us wanting. God invites us, of all the lords that are available to us, he says, come follow me. Come follow me and make me Lord, and I will actually set you free. Most people in this room will only ever know Jesus as Savior. Few will actually experience the life-altering beauty of experiencing Jesus as Lord, and have it transform everything about who they are to practice his way to engage in a new way of experiencing the kingdom because we understand the lord of that kingdom and we've submitted to him there's this moment in exodus chapter six exodus is this powerful narrative of god moving through his people but it's also a metaphor for what takes place in our own lives when we connect to God. It's a, it's a story of, of freedom, of emancipation from slavery and into promise. And in the middle of this, when God is talking to Moses about what he is going to do with his enslaved people, this is what he says. He says, then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the the, uh, Egyptians are enslaving. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore... Say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hands to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord." See, this is a beautiful promise that almost all of us would say, sign me up for that, right? God's like, hey, make me Lord. I am the Lord, and guess what? I'm going to set you free, and not only am I going to set you free, but I'm going to redeem you, and not only am I going to redeem you, I'm going to give you the land that was promised to you, and you're also going to get a set of Ginsu knives on top of that, right? He's just like, look, we're going to give you everything, right? He's literally saying, it's all yours. Everything is yours. And this is the invitation to lordship that God invites us into. That when he says, look, I'm going to set you free, but I'm going to redeem you, and I'm going to give you hope, and I'm going to destroy your enemies, every single other lord will close down futures for you, but I am actually the only lord that will bring you freedom, that will bring you hope, that will bring you restoration. And this is the next move of the Israelites in chapter 9, right after God makes this powerful declaration to his people in chapter 9. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. See, it is possible to hear the call of God to lordship and the future that he longs to open in our lives for freedom and redemption and the destruction of every force that will come against you and to give you a land of promise flowing with milk and honey and still choose the Lord of discouragement. I wonder for how many of us God has come to us saying, hey, could I be Lord? Would you surrender to me? Would you submit your life to me? Would you lay everything down and come follow me? And the allure towards discouragement is much stronger than the call to freedom. That our commitment to living in hopelessness and despair is a much stronger call than a life of revival. See, I I love that God chooses to allow us to choose our lords. That he actually sets us free to choose who will lord over us. That's crazy. If it was me, no way, right? If I'm God, I am lord, I will make you under me. There's no choosing here, there's not like a, hey, this is an option among many, but I created the world, I created the people, sorry, I'm your lord. You're going to be like little Lego people, right? You're going to be like Green Army soldiers, and I will put you exactly where I need you to be, and I will lord over you. But he doesn't do that. You know what he does? He sets us free, and he watches as we choose other lords. He watches as we choose lords of greed, or lord of anger, or lords of despair and discouragement, He watches as we choose lords of darkness and hopelessness and destruction. And he watches and he allows us to choose. And he withholds his anger and his frustration in our choosing of other lords. Because his heart and his character is informed by love. And love requires him to set us free. To choose. Otherwise it would be manipulation. And he refuses to manipulate you. He only chooses to love you. But in that, he also does not withhold the consequences of our choices. And so many people are upset with God because of what another Lord did to them. People are upset with what God did. And when God's saying, actually, that that wasn't me. That was the other Lord you chose. That was the Lord of arrogance that, destroyed your relationship. That was the Lord of gluttony that ruined your health. That was the Lord of of bitterness that created the isolation and loneliness. That, That wasn't me. And so while God lets us choose who lords over us, he also lets us experience the fullness of the consequences and he redeems them all at the same time. See, in a world of lords that are actually looking to control you, that are looking to use you that are looking to destroy your life in some way shape or form ironically the only lord who is deserving of lordship the only lord who actually is the one who is worthy of us submitting our lives our lives to he's actually the one who is looking to set you free The one Lord who actually has the right to say, you will submit and you will do what I say and you will obey is the one that says, I would love for you just to submit to me so I can set you free. So that now we can be in relationship with one another and you can actually become the person that you were designed to become. But that freedom begins with laying it all down, leaving your boats and walking away and saying, I'm all in. See, we live in a culture that from the moment that you're born, you are informed that you're the most important person on the planet. Have you noticed that? And It makes sense because as babies, we are are the most important person on the planet, right? (laughs) And we cry and someone gives us food and we cry again and someone changes our diaper and we cry again and someone picks us up. And so we're born with this perspective that we are the most important person on the planet. But then it gets reinforced, especially in our culture that we live in today. Where you get to be whoever you want to be, you get to do whatever you want to do. Don't let anyone else tell you what to do. You do you over there, right? And then we're certainly taught that our feelings are the most important source of how we should make our decisions and how we should engage our life and how we should choose the future that opens up for us and other people. They are are the ultimate source of wisdom and making decisions. And then we live. On top of that, in a democracy where we can say, all right, we want to be free to choose our leader, and then when a leader is chosen, we're like, not my president, right? So even in a context where we're like, hey, we're all gonna choose, we're gonna be free, and then when the choice is made, we're like, no, 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 I'm not up for that, right? So we live in a world where we are actually the center of the universe, and that our decision and our feelings and our interpretation of reality matters more than anything else on the planet. And it is ruining us. Because this call to follow ship, this call to be an apprentice, this call to lay everything down, it does not make sense. In fact, it is probably the most countercultural move that you could ever make in your life to say, I will gladly submit my life to this Lord. I will gladly lay down my life to Jesus has come and asked me to follow him i will submit myself to him i will give you not just part of me i will give you all of me and i will lay it all down and i will give up my right to myself and i will follow you i will learn your ways i will be your apprentice i will take on everything that you have for me i will learn your ways and they will become a regular practice of my life but here's the thing it's hard to learn something new when you're holding on to something old have you noticed that And that's oftentimes the the dance that we find ourselves in. I I find that there's two ways that we weasel out of lordship. There's two ways usually that we weasel out of this apprenticeship process. The first one is that we oftentimes make Jesus one lord among many lords. You know what I'm talking about? He's like an option among all the options that are available to us to apprentice. So You can certainly become your own Lord, and you can apprentice yourself, but we find whatever Lord is also available to us. And so we find ourselves saying, God, I I will lay everything down, and I love the redemption, and I love the freedom, and I love the hope that you bring. But there's this other Lord over here that also, man, when I engage in this Lord, it feels so powerful. When I engage in this Lord, I, I feel much more in control of my life. When I engage in this Lord, it feels much safer than this life that you're calling me into. So why don't I just take the best of both worlds, and we'll make like a lordship suicide right here, right? And we'll drink that. And we call that lordship. Even when this Lord and this Lord, their ideas conflict with one another. Have you noticed that? When God is saying, hey, the pathway to freedom is actually forgiveness, and this Lord over here says, why don't you hold on to that resentment because it feels really powerful. When God's over here saying, hey, I would love for you to sacrifice, and over this Lord over here is saying, actually, it would be much more comfortable to keep everything. And when they conflict, we find ourselves having to choose which Lord we submit to, which essentially makes us Lord. Because now we're just borrowing nice ideas from whatever Lord seems most convenient at the time. And so we try to hold on to greed and God at the same time. We try to hold on to entitlement and Jesus at the same time. We try to hold on to resentment and the Holy Spirit at the same time. And it just doesn't work. Because now I'm the one who's deciding what's true. I'm the one who's deciding what is right. I am the one who is deciding what gets submitted to. And it completely negates the idea of lordship altogether. And... I usually start playing these games in my own life. I don't know if you found this when when I actually don't like what God is revealing to me about my own life, about my own character, about the things that must be transformed, about the areas where I need the most amount of apprenticeship, of followship in my life. God starts revealing things and I'm like, this is awesome. Had a great worship service. And then God's like, hey, I need you to address this attitude with your wife. I'm like, uh, I'm not sure about that, right? I need you to address this area and how you're relating to money. Eh, I don't don't know about that. I need you to address this area and how you're relating to your physical body. And, And it is awesome until God says something we don't like or that conflicts with what's comfortable or safe or allows us to look good in some way. And then we find another Lord who is a little more palpable, who is a little more easy to follow. So... Now God is an inconvenient. See, I find that so many of us are desperately looking for a convenient God. And we oftentimes go searching for a convenient God when the world around us feels very inconvenient, when our inner world feels inconvenient, and so we don't want a God who's also inconvenient. And so we choose another Lord who's a little more convenient to relieve us from the inconvenience around us. But ironically, it's following the God who at times is incredibly inconvenient in what he calls us to. It's ironically, it's it's in the following of the God who interrupts our comfort at times and interrupts our need to look a certain way or our need to be in control. It's ironically in that submission to him that he orders our world around us so that what is inconvenient suddenly becomes aligned with his kingdom. And it's in that that everything becomes new. I get very anxious when I look around at what God's calling me into and I'm like, everything is incredibly convenient. I just ask myself, there must be something that I'm missing because fellowship, apprenticeship, becoming a student, a disciple of Jesus, is rarely a convenient proposition. And it's inconvenient because he is removing all of the rough edges that are keeping us from stepping into the future that he longs for us to step into. And so it really comes down to this. Do I trust that God is good That when he calls me to something, when he asks me to make this decision over this decision, when he asks me to release this and to take on this, when he asks me to engage the world from this perspective rather than this perspective, I just have to ask myself, do I actually trust that he is good? And here's the only way to know that he is good, to taste and see. right. Right? That there's no other way. I wish there was. I wish there was like a, hey, let's put out a pros and cons list or something like that. The only way to know if he is good is to try it on and find out if it's good or not. He says, taste and see, right? I've been to like all kinds of fancy dinners. Everyone, everyone been to like a fancy dinner that you're like, I feel way out of place here. i I've been to those. And here's the thing. I'm always like, someone will put something down. I'm like, what is this? Right? And it's usually like a bite of something. And it's, it's like, you know, this is a bark of a wood from 20 years that we ground up and we put with snail juice. And, you know, and, you know in those moments, you just got to taste and see, right? I'm usually, like, very cautious with my fork, like, is this okay, right? And you get to taste and see. And in the same way, this is what God, he's like, look, you got to taste and see. I'm, I am good, I promise you, that when you submit to me, I promise you your life will move towards wholeness. When you submit to me, I promise that your life will move towards health. I promise you that your life will move towards freedom. But you just have to test and see. And, And in that, you will know that I am good. By the way, this is why in this financial conversation, the scriptures say you cannot serve both God and money. Like they don't work as two separate lords because one will eventually win out. Because money will always limit what you see possible. When money is your God, your vision will end at your bank account statement. When money is your God, what's possible in your life will end with your paycheck. It will end with how much credit you have available to you. When God's like, hey, if you would just submit to me, I actually have all the resources available if you'd be willing to trust me in the process. And so this is one of the ways that we weasel out from lordship, is we just choose a lord among many. But the second way is is this, is that we have this idea that our life is broken into segments, right? And oftentimes I find that people say, you know, like I have a house and here's my, here's my family room and here's my spiritual room and here's my physical room and here's this. But, but Jesus is like the living room over here, you know, and we find ourselves segmenting our life. And oftentimes what we do is we choose what segments of our life we're willing to submit and what segments we're not willing to submit to. And so we'll say, oh, God, you can totally have my career. And you can totally, you can even have my kids. Please take them, right? <laughs> I submit. And then when he's like, yeah, I also want your thought life. Yeah, I don't know about that one, right? I'd also like your finances. Oh, definitely not that one. <laughs> I'd also like the way that you are relating to your enemies. Definitely not that one, right? Right? Because we segment our life and we assume that we can submit some areas and other areas we can leave unsubmitted. That would be so nice if that was the case. I would love a world in which I could say, you get this and this and this, I'm going to keep this room, right? How many of you have a junk drawer in your house? You know what I'm talking about. Everyone has a junk drawer, right? And I, I, sometimes I have anxiety, like what if someone comes to my house and opens the junk drawer, right? Right? I don't know if you have anxiety about your junk drawer. I do. I'm just a weirdo like that. And so I often think, like, my house is so beautiful looking. But if someone opens the junk drawer, they're going to know a whole different universe at the neighbor home. And this is oftentimes what happens. We're like, God, keep the living room. You can have the bedroom. You can have the kitchen. You don't get the junk drawer. (laughs) Because that's mine. And it's convenient to have the junk drawer over here. And so we live segregated lives And we find ourselves out of integrity. Our lives are not integrated with one another. And so we don't understand, why can't I get my energy moving? Why do I feel so exhausted? Why do I wake up in the morning not passionate about life? And it's oftentimes because our lives are segregated, and we are willing to submit some areas, but not other areas. See, when God invites you to come and says, he says, follow me, make me Lord, submit to you, what he actually means is, Everything. I'm not interested in, like, you get this room but not that room. Everything. See, if we were going to use this house diagram, I know it's like a popular thing in faith of, like, Jesus is the living room because he's the center. I'm like, no, Jesus is the roof and the foundation and the walls. Everything, right? That's what he gets. And he's over everything. Or it does not work. And so we are either submitting everything or we're not. Those are the only two options that we have. And I love that in Exodus 34, verse 14, God gives us this beautiful insight into his heart in the Ten Commandments. And he says this, do not worship any other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. See, we talk about all kinds of names of God that we like. We like Jehovah Rapha, the healer. We like Jehovah Nisi, the God of victory. We like Jehovah Shalom, the God who is peace. But rarely do we consider the God whose name is jealous. That he is is jealous for you. Have you ever been jealous for someone? It's It's a rough place to be, right? It's different from envy. Envy is I want what you have. Like you have something and I want it. Jealous is I have a right to that and I want all of it. Jealous is like, you gave me a cake, and I want all the cake, right? I don't want, no kids, you don't get this, right? <laughs> it's all, I'm jealous, right? You want all of it, it's all yours. And I love that when Jesus, when, when God looks at us, he looks at us with jealousy. That is his name. That he says, I want, you. you are so precious to me. I love you so much. I care so much about you that my very name is jealous. And it will not work for you to have me and like a little side hookup over here. Just won't work. I want all of you and I want everything. I am a jealous God. I long for you and I invite you into this fellowship, lordship, relationship with me where I will expand your life and set you free. But it's gonna require you to lay down everything. And follow me and come taste and see that I am good. And here's why he's jealous, because it will no longer work. It will never work if you view his call to follow him as like a divine suggestion. It will only work if it's an all or nothing proposition, if you're all in. See, following Jesus cannot be one among many. It is everything or it is nothing. And I know that in our world that is so inconvenient. I know in our world we like, can I get like the trial size? Can we do like a 30 day money back guarantee or something? And he's like, yeah, it doesn't work that way. It's just all or nothing. So I'd like for you just to close your eyes for a moment. Because I think this, this conversation for some of us can be overwhelming because we can look at all the areas of our lives that are unsubmitted. For some of you, it may be just completely unsubmitted, and that's okay for right now. But I want you to hear what Jesus says to us when we submit to him. I want these words to just sink into your soul because if you ever wondered what Jesus's heart is for you when you make him Lord, it's this. Come to me all of you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest in your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is his light. Let's keep your eyes closed for a moment. Some of you are exhausted. And some of you are here and you are burdened and you are weary because you have taken on the weight of a cruel lord that has lorded over you. And that lord has been using you. And he has not been using you for love. I don't know what it is for you. Some of you have been tricked into believing that you're free. And you feel free. You're like, hey, I get to make my own decisions. I get to do what I want. But you're not. And you know it because you're exhausted. Your soul's tired. And either out of pride or fear... Maybe you've been resisting submitting everything. I give you all my worries, God. I give you my sexuality. I give you my finances. I give you my kids. I give you my career. I give you my physical body. I just give you everything. And it's usually out of pride or fear that we're unwilling to submit. And maybe you haven't trusted that, that the Lord God will not be like all the other Lords. Maybe you've been fearful that he will be just like all the other lords, disappointing, leaving you wanting. But who better to submit our lives to than the one who authored it, than the one who wrote you into existence, than the one who spoke your soul into reality? And there is a power that exists when we fully submit to him as student, apprentice, learner. There are other characteristics that are required for revival, but this, this is absolutely critical. Revival cannot and will not continue if we are unwilling to submit ourselves. You cannot learn and live the dynamic, powerful life you were designed to live until you're willing to submit to him and allow him to teach you and show you his ways. And when you submit, you will find the rest that your soul is longing for. I just want you to, in closing, listen to this passage in Romans. It says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. See, salvation doesn't come from having all the right theology or having your life together. It doesn't come from you being a good person. It comes from you saying, you are Lord, you get everything. I submit See, if you need any other reason as to why to submit your life to Him, it's that He is longing to move you from death to life, from bondage to freedom, from dark to light, from hopelessness to hope. But here's the thing it will cost you everything, but you will find your life. It is the only way. So the question before you is the same question that Jesus asked Peter and asked Andrew, will you follow me? Will you lay down your nets and your boats and your attitudes and your ways that you believe are right and your right to yourself, will you lay it all down and follow me? And this morning, if you're here and you have not yet submitted to Jesus as Lord, maybe you've known about him, maybe you've been in in, a, in like a, a relationship with him for a long time, even as savior, Jesus is actually interested in you laying everything down. So if that's you this morning, maybe it's the first time you've ever said, Jesus, you are Lord. Or maybe you've just recognized, oh, I've, I have given over to a lot of other cruel lords this morning and you're ready to make him Lord this morning with no eyes looking around. Would you just raise your hand? you feel like I'm ready to make Jesus Lord today. Awesome. Who else? Yeah you're online, you can just put Jesus in the comments. And I just want to pray this prayer with you. If you would pray this just to him, dear Jesus, I know that I am broken. And you came and you died for me. And you came back to life so that I could live. So I give you everything. I submit my whole life to you. And I make you Lord. And I know that in the process, I will gain everything back. I thank you in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, guys.
0: Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com